good to be in the Lord's house. I was just thinking about it today. There's been several people that have been able to come almost every single service, and it's just a privilege to be back, to be in the Lord's house. We never know what's going to happen to us in the future or even to um, this church, but uh, thankful we can serve the Lord now. Well, if you could turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, a very familiar passage, I think, to most Christians here. Acts chapter 9. This is sort of a missions month. Lots of uh, things going on with missions. And of course, our missions conference coming up soon. And uh, this message will be right along those lines. Acts chapter 9. And uh, maybe we can stand. We'll stand as we read the first six verses. Acts chapter 9. And uh, we'll read them all together. Acts chapter 9. And uh, verse 1. Ready and begin. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priests, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Let's go ahead now and open with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for men like the Apostle Paul. We thank you for your word and how it can speak to us even today. And Lord, I'm so grateful we can look at the lives of people in the past and see the variations, the different backgrounds, the different styles, the different kinds of people that you've called for your honor and your glory. And we can even compare them and see where we fit in all of this and ask ourselves, Lord, would you call me? Would you use me? Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to glean what we can from it this evening. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Maybe this is a question you've asked yourself before, or someone's asked you before, but a question I found myself asking when um, I was in my early 20s when I first started dating my to-be wife. The question often I would ask myself is, how will I know when I'm in love? Now, that may sound like a strange question when you're dating somebody. Usually, at least all the friends I had, it seemed like within the first week or two of dating, they would pronounce their love to their girl. And uh, it seemed strange to me. It took me almost three years to say, I love you, to, to Lydia. And now that sounds strange. And I'll have, let me explain myself before you think I'm crazy, okay? For me, this word love was such a strong word that I wasn't willing to say it unless I knew 100% for sure 
that I was going to marry her. I didn't just want to say I love you to just anybody. I wanted to say it to the person that I would marry someday. So really what I was struggling with is, do I love you enough to spend the rest of my life with you? That's how I was processing it in my head. And I remember even before all this happened, I was about 21. And as most, 20, most of my 21-year-old friends in college who didn't have girlfriends and didn't see, uh, we thought, man, we're 21. We don't have girlfriends. We're just going to be single the rest of our life. You know, we, we, it's just, I'm, we're too old now. We're past the point of, uh, of finding the right one. And of course, we realized how young we truly were and how much more of our life we had still yet to live. And God would bring her into my life. And I remember asking my dad. He was the one I'd usually go to for advice first. And I would say, Dad, how did you know that you loved, that you loved Mom? How did you know that you loved her? And he thought about it for a second. And he just said, well, Tim, you just know. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for nothing, Dad. That, that really helped. Let me just write that down, and let me just use that someday. Dad, do you have any other advice for me? No, Tim, you just, you just know. Like, All right, hang up. Let's try someone else. That's how most people do counsel, right? Well, you didn't give me the counsel I want, so let me find someone else that will. So who do I call next? Call Mom. Mom's always the... Uh, a great, great counselor. I call my mom. Mom, how did you know that dad, that you love dad? How did you know? She waited for a second and she replied, Tim, I, I just knew. Did you, did dad talk to you? Did he tell you to say that? This is not helping me. I remember asking people in the, ch in this church, cause I was, I was here at this time and uh, asking friends around, like, how did you know? When did that moment come? Did you feel anything? Were there those fireworks, the, the butterflies? Like, how did you know? And everybody's reply was the same. You know, I just, I just knew. So I vowed. I said, you know what? When, when someday when I'm past all this and a young person comes to me and says, Pastor Tim, how do you know that you're in, how did you know that you loved wife. I, I was going to have a much better answer than that. Well, obviously, I did get past all that, and years would go by. And I remember we were, I was at, uh, I was at teen camp and had some of, uh, I don't know where we were. I think guys don't ask questions, so I wasn't the guys for sure. But it was uh, some of the girls, and they were asking me, how did you know that Mrs. Lydia, how did you know that you loved her? And I remember, this is the moment. I've been waiting for this moment. I'm going to be the first person in history to have a different answer. I remember looking at them in the eyes, and I remember smiling and saying, I just knew. <laughs> I just knew. And there's no real answer for it, but how did I know when that moment came? I just, I just knew. I knew. I knew that I had loved her. I knew that I, I really always had, but it was just at that moment where I knew I could spend the rest of my life with her, and it was, a, it was a great moment. And along those lines, a question that many, uh, that many times I get asked, and pastors, missionaries all the time, a question that you would ask somebody in full-time service when you're wanting to serve God with your life, a question that gets asked often is, how do I know if God is calling me to serve him, whether it's full-time, whether it's a missionary, but that's a question that gets asked, how, how do I know? 
And an answer you don't want to hear is, well, you just know. How, how, how does one know that God is calling us into full-time Christian service? And some people would say, you know, I thought God might have been calling me when I was younger, but it was never confirmed, so now I'm just, I'm not sure. For many, this mysterious missionary call that many talk about has been the center of debate for many generations. It is arguably one of the most misunderstood terms when talking about the Great Commission, this call. A former missionary to China and an author of many, actually, books about missions, he's no longer alive, but J. Herbert Cain, he once made this statement. He says, the term missionary call should never have been coined. It is not scriptural and therefore can be harmful. It is not found in the Bible. Thousands of youths desiring to serve the Lord have waited and waited for some mysterious missionary call that never came. And after a time, they became weary of waiting and gave up on the idea of even becoming a missionary and going to the mission field. One person put it this way, I was never called to be a missionary, nor was I drafted. I volunteered. No special call was needed. I chose to go. I wanted to go. I was compelled to go. And where I go is always determined by an open Bible and a stretched out map of the regions where Christ is still unknown and unpraised. Oftentimes, a person will only surrender when they've exhausted all other options in their own life. They say things like, oh, we can't fully surrender until I've used up all my hard-earned scholarships. I can't fully surrender to God until I've explored every other option that I have in my life. And then if all of my doors fail, then I guess perhaps God must have been closing them, and I guess my only choice now is service to the Lord. And they explore all their avenues that they would like to do, and choose God's door last. And oftentimes, God is not waiting for you to choose him. Sometimes God has a door open and we go past it and then the door closes. And we spend, our, we spend so much of our, our years, our youth oftentimes, pursuing our own passions and our own dreams. And by that point, perhaps the door for what God had for us is now closed. Why is surrendering to God such a difficult thing? I mean, when it's something we love, it's not hard to do, to sacrifice for. You hear of athletes. I think I just, uh, I like blowing into this mic here. We have athletes. Do you want to just go to this one? We have athletes that oftentimes will wake up in the morning, early morning, and train hard. Some of us don't like to get up in the morning. We like, uh, we like to sleep in, and we make fun of our friends that wake up at four in the morning to, to get up and go running and to exercise and to train. We only make fun of them because we wished we had the same dedication and character that they did, I suppose. It's so interesting how when we consider the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when he's calling us and has a job for us, 
Ah, but Lord, are you sure you got the wrong, maybe you got the wrong person? Perhaps fear plays a huge factor into this process. Even though God has proven himself over and over and over again in his faithfulness, we still sometimes choose fear. But sometimes, many a Christian will use this excuse. Well, God just hasn't called me. He hasn't called me to do that. Maybe to be a missionary or to serve him full time. I just, I haven't felt that call. So I guess I can just do what I want to do. Or I guess I could just serve him in a different way. But I just haven't felt that call. The missionary call is, shouldn't be like a, a dog trying to track us down. It shouldn't be like we're being handcuffed. It's not what we're talking about here. Nowhere in scripture, nowhere in scripture is a mysterious call or the supernatural call a prerequisite before we can respond to the great commission. Now God does need to call us, but the way we've been perceived of it has been tattered in our minds. So today I want us just to compare two famous Bible missionaries and the way they were called to missions. And compare and see exactly what is required for someone to serve the Lord full time. We're in Acts chapter 9, probably the most famous of Bible of missionary callings of all time. In Acts chapter 9, we come across a young man by the name of Saul. And Saul is, Saul thinks he's serving God. He's a Pharisee. He studies the law. He thinks he's right where he's supposed to be, yet he's persecuting the people he's supposed to be helping. And we know the story. I'm not going to go into detail. We've heard this, read this story a million times. He's on the road to Damascus. He's getting ready to persecute more Christians. What happens? A light from heaven shones down. Everybody with him seems to pass out fall to the ground, the trembling, and Saul himself goes blind, perhaps falls to his knees, and is just saying, Lord, what? or he didn't say, Lord, he didn't know who it was. Well, actually in verse 5, he did say, who art thou, Lord? So I guess he did know who it was. He knew exactly who was calling him. And what did God do? God said, Saul, you're going the wrong way. I know you have, you're trying to serve me, but you're not doing it the right way. Turn around, and this is what I have for you. We look at an amazing story like this, and sometimes this is what gets put in our minds. We think, okay, so I must not be called to God. I must not be called to service because I don't remember having a bright light shine down from heaven on my face. Now, I know that's an exaggeration. No one's really expecting that. In fact, if that did happen, we would probably be more scared than we would be willing. I think if a bright light shone down on us we, because of Hollywood, we think alien invasion or something. Or we think, man, must I have too much coffee this morning? Or what, what's wrong with me? And sometimes, but we, we oftentimes expect the calling of God to be something like this. For our hair to stand up on our heads to, to uh, not on our heads, well yeah, I guess stand up on our heads for, for uh, this amazing feeling or, or something to come across our life in order for the call of God to be upon us. But that's not always the case. But there are other instances like this in the Bible. You remember Moses? 
and the burning bush. In Exodus chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. I wonder if he talked like that in his head. I will now turn aside and see this bush. So he did. He went and he saw the bush. And when he got closer, guess what happened? Out of the bush, the Lord spoke. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. See, that's, that's the calling that we're looking for right there, right? I, I, I'm waiting for a moment where I hear, Tim, Tim. I mean, that's well, either I'm going crazy or that's as clear of a calling as you can get. Is an audible voice. What about, uh, what about Samuel? Didn't the same thing happen to Samuel? Now, we don't have time to go through all these passages, and I wish we did, but... In 1 Samuel chapter 3, uh, we see here that Samuel, the Bible says that Samuel had not heard the voice of the Lord at this point. Samuel didn't really know God personally, not, not like this. And we see here that God comes to Samuel one night. He's just a kid. What does he say? Samuel. Samuel. So Samuel wakes up and he thinks it's Eli, the high priest, who he's living with. And you know the story. Three times this happens, and he runs to Eli all three times and says, Eli, look, I'm hearing voices. Are you sure it's not you? Do you talk in your sleep? I didn't know about it. And the third time, Eli said, uh-oh, I think God's trying to speak to you. And I only say, uh-oh, because God hadn't spoken to Eli in a long time. So Eli says, I'll tell you what, this is what you need to say. If you hear the voice again, if you hear your name called again, you say, speak, Lord. For thy servant heareth. And guess what? A fourth time God came to Samuel and said, Samuel, Samuel. This time, I don't think Samuel was sleeping anymore. I think he was already awake now. And he sat up and said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. That's the kind of call that we would like to have and we often would expect. Or sometimes this is the call that we hope would happen. And when it doesn't really come quite this audibly, we think to ourselves, oh, maybe this isn't it. Remember King David? He was just a, a shepherd. He was a, the youngest in his family. He wasn't even invited when, when Samuel, years later now, would come to David's family. And this big gathering takes place. David wasn't even invited. He was still out in the fields being a shepherd. Nobody thought much of him. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And Jesse said, Well, yeah, there remaineth like the, the youngest. Uh, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said, Well, send and fetch him. I will not sit down until he come hither. So Jesse sends for David. David, the Bible says, was ruddy with a beautiful countenance. And it was at that moment where Samuel anointed David with oil and said, you're going to be the next king. That's a clear calling on someone's life right there. John the Baptist, before he was even born, was prophesied that this kid inside your womb 
is going to be the forerunner. He's going to be the one that will point people to the Messiah. Joseph and Mary, Gabriel, the angel, came right directly to them and told them what, their, what, what to do with their life. All 12 of the disciples, we see the same thing happening. And I can go on and go on and say, uh, tell you more and more stories where the calling of God sometimes was very, very clear and audible, even at times. But as you're probably aware, that's not necessarily the normal. This, these are extraordinary passages in God's word that aren't usually the normal. How God usually calls people is more like Barnabas. Look in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they were, they were comrades. They were soldiers together in the Lord's army. They were, they were friends, yet they had two different ways of being called of God. In Acts chapter 4, and verse 32, the Bible says, And the multitude of them, Acts 4 verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they all had, but they had all things common. This is not too long after um, Pentecost. Verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. There was revival breaking out here in this church in Jerusalem. People all around. Bible says they were in one accord. There was no... There was nothing bad happening in the church, no secret sins. Everybody was, their minds were all where it needed to be, and not that the church was perfect per se, but man, they, they were on fire for God, so much so that people were selling their lands, selling possessions, selling things that they had. They didn't have a lot of money at this time, especially the Jews. Many of them were oppressed by the Romans. They didn't have a lot of things, but they did have possessions, and they were selling what they had and giving that money, or even the possessions, and laying them down at the apostles' feet, for them to use as they saw fit for God's work. And some people noticed, were noticed above others. Verse 36, and Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the first time we see, hear of this guy named Barnabas. Now he comes back several times all throughout the, all throughout the scriptures here in the book of Acts. But the first time we see him is being, being in a church that's excited, that's giving. A church that's excited for, for missions. A church that's excited to see things happen, to see things accomplished, to see things done. Barnabas is just in the middle of all this taking place and happening, and 
His heart is revived. His heart has a desire to serve the Lord. And Barnabas comes to a point where he says, man, I have this property. I don't know if he had multiple properties. It says here that his family was from Cyprus. Maybe he he sold a property from there, which was a bit of a ways from Jerusalem. I don't know where his property was from, but the Bible says that he sold his land and he laid the money at the apostles' feet. He came to a point where he said, earthly possessions mean nothing to me, only that my life can be used in service unto the Lord. You see, at this point in time, we don't hear of an angel coming to Barnabas at night, knocking on his door, saying, hey, Barnabas, get up. I got to tell you something. God has called you to be a missionary. Not only that, but there's this crazy guy named Saul who's persecuting everybody. (laughs) You're going to be the one to train him. Isn't that great? Barnabas doesn't appear to have this moment in life. So what are you getting at, Pastor Tim? The Apostle Paul, like the Apostle Paul, sometimes the call of God is very clear and at a very specific time in one's life. Sometimes it happens. But oftentimes, the call of God is collected over a period of faithful service to the Lord. Somebody who's faithfully serving the Lord over time can't help but keep giving themselves into the Lord. Barnabas perhaps started out with his salvation, believing on the Lord, then started attending services, and then started listening to the apostles preach and perhaps got a a copy or so of of the scriptures that he was able to have and he perhaps started reading and started studying and it was these faithful steps unto the Lord. Eventually, people started giving towards the church to help witness, to help present the gospel, Uh, missions giving, if you will. People were giving and Barnabas perhaps started to give a little bit more and and give a little bit more and eventually he just said, man, I I just want to, I can't give enough. And he sold his land and he gave even more. And the more he gave himself to God, the more that God was using Barnabas. And it didn't, wasn't really a specific moment in time that God had called him. It was just over a period of faithful service unto the Lord that all of a sudden Barnabas found himself serving God full time. That is a more common look at the call of missions. You ask a missionary today, how did God call you? And they may have a, a point in life where they'll say, you know, I remember I was sitting in a chair. I was, sit, I was sitting in a church and a pastor was preaching and I got convicted. I knew that God was calling me to be a missionary. But if you continue to ask them, had God been working on your heart about missions prior to that? Every, every one of them would say, Yes. You listen to their stories. A lot of times they grew up in a missions home or they were in a missions church or they were here or they were there and they were serving the Lord in this capacity or in this capacity or in this capacity. And over time of serving the Lord, they just knew. They, they started loving speaking to people and loving giving of their hearts to God and, and just wanting to serve God more and more and more. And over this time of service, they came to a point where they just said, Lord, I, I just... I can't serve you enough. Can I serve you more? And God said, yeah, you can. Why don't you, why don't you do it full time? Why don't you give your life to me? Why don't you prepare your hearts for, for possible mission service? And God would just prepare their hearts over a period of time. We see the same example happening in the life of Elisha. 
For sake of time, we won't turn there. But in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah is about to be taken up in a whirlwind to heaven. And it's, it's funny because everybody knows that this is going to happen to Elijah. Because Elijah looks at Elisha. I always wondered how their names got so close at hand. But Elijah looked at Elisha and says, Elisha, look, the, Lord, I'm, the Lord's taking me away. Uh, and this was here in Gilgal. And in Gilgal, he says, you don't need to follow me anymore. Your, your time serving me is done. And Elisha says, no, no, no. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with you to the end. Okay. So then they go to Bethel. And then in Bethel, the Bible says that the prophets of God came out. All the prophets came out to Elisha and said, why are you still following Elijah? Don't you know that God is going to, God's going to take him? God, God, God is, he, he's going to, and I don't think they really understood how, but they looked at him and Elisha says, hold your peace, hold your peace. I, I'm going to follow my master. And then they go to Jericho and it happens again a third time. Prophets come out and say, Elisha, why are you still following me? And he says, guys, just, just stop, okay? I'm making this decision. I want to stay. I want to serve the man of God as long as I can. All the way to the end where he asked for a double portion. Not sure exactly he knew what he was asking for. Elisha well, didn't have this very real specific calling. In fact, he was being told by, his, by the man of God to stay home. You're, you're, it's okay. It's okay for you to stay home. But Elisha says, no, no, no. I, I've given up everything at this point. Now, I, this is what I want. I want to serve you to the end. I think one of the greatest examples is found in Isaiah chapter 6. If you can turn there, Isaiah chapter 6. I know if there's one passage we've all heard before, it'd be this one. But it's so good. Isaiah chapter 6. Here Isaiah, in the year of Uzziah, in the year that Uzziah died, he's taken up in this vision of the Lord and he's sitting, he's listening to the Lord speak. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see here all these amazing things taking place, but we're just going to skip right down to verse 8. So Isaiah is sitting and God isn't speaking directly to Isaiah. Isaiah is just overhearing this because look what it says in verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? So Isaiah is just there in this vision and he's hearing God speak and he's saying, who will go for us? Who will volunteer? And that's when Isaiah says those famous words, here am I, send me. God didn't look at Isaiah and said, oh, you, I want, I want you. I'm, I'm calling you to serve me full time. I want you to be my prophet. God never pointed at Isaiah and, and specifically said that. All God said was, does anybody here want to serve me? And Isaiah said, well, if you're taking volunteers, Lord, I'll, I'll do it. And do you think God used Isaiah? <laughs> Did God use that willing heart? Have you read the book of Isaiah? How much, how highly God's, Isaiah spoke of God and what he was able to do through his prophecies? 
You think of Stephen in the Bible in Acts chapter 6, where the apostles said, look, we need some help. Go around, fast and pray, and seek out for you seven men who can help us serve. And the very next verse, the first person they chose is a man named Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost. He was just a man that was serving God. He volunteered his services, and God used him. How about famous missionary David Livingston? When someone asked missionary David Livingston, a famous missionary and explorer to the continent of Africa, when somebody asked David Livingston why he became a missionary to Africa, do you know what his reply was? He said, I was compelled by the love of Christ. I was compelled. He didn't say I was called. He said, I was compelled. A medical doctor, missionary, preacher, African explorer, humanitarian, and fighter against the slave trade, David Livingston went fearlessly to places other outsiders had never gone, and from obscurity of the remote African interior, became one of the most celebrated heroes of his era. Why? Because he was compelled by the love of Christ. Adoniram Judson, famous missionary. Anybody know where he was a missionary to? I heard it. They're just afraid in case they're wrong. He was, Adoniram Judson was a famous missionary to Burma. Was called of God while attending Bible college. His love for mission slowly grew until he knew it was his mission to bring the mission of Christ to Burma. Read his story just by being in college, by by reading his word, by studying, by talking to other men who have gone out, he eventually himself realized this is something that I would like to do. Lord, would you use me? And he would volunteer his services unto the Lord. Famous evangelist, D.L. Moody. In 1858, D.L. Moody started a mission Sunday school in the ghetto of Chicago. Just started a Sunday school class. This Sunday school class eventually grew into a church the Illinois Street Independent Church. Six years later, Moody would go on to establish the Moody Bible Institute. Wasn't known that at that time. Eventually, through faithful services, he just was started a Sunday school class, and that Sunday school class grew. It grew into a church. It grew into an institute. Eventually, Great Chicago Fire would come through and would burn a lot of his ministry to the ground. And from that point on, Moody kept serving God. He became a full-time evangelist, and it's been told that almost at least a million people heard the gospel preached by D.L. Moody. This is our missions month. We've been hearing a lot about missions, about the call to missions. And I simply wanted to bring up this simple idea for you to consider today, the call of God. The call of God may not be a bolt of light from heaven, but it usually comes from a life of service to him. As we grow closer to God, our burden for the lost becomes the focal point of our present and future. The call of God is a, is a real thing and should not be taken lightly. It can start at a young age, since it is then that often our hearts are the most soft they tend to get harder and harder as we get older and older. But the call of God sometimes starts when we're at a young age and should strengthen as we grow closer to God. 
But so often we make decisions when we are young and we let them slowly slip away as we get swept away by the cares of this world. There's a time in our young life we could remember where we were soft, we were tender, where we thought perhaps that could be something we, we might do someday, but schoolwork gets in the way. Our career gets in the way. Our parents' ambition for our life sometimes gets in the way and hinders us. And, and we get clouded sometimes by everything that goes around us. And we look back and go, well, you know, I, I felt it once before, but uh, I, don't, I don't really think I was called. Or maybe what happened was you quit your volunteer service for the Lord. At one time, you had volunteered and said, Lord, if you would use me someday, <laughs> I'll do it. And then when that time came, as God came time to take you up on that volunteer service, you said, oh, actually, I think, I might, I, I think, uh, I, I think I, I'll take back that volunteer. I'll still serve you, Lord, but maybe not to the capacity that I thought I might. The, the call of God has no prerequisite for age. No, no certain job experience is needed. No specific years of service into the Lord is required. No special talents are needed. The only prerequisite needed for full-time service, salvation and a burden for people's souls. Do we have that burden for people? Now, the amount and the ability in which we can serve the Lord may depend a bit on our pasts, but when it comes to giving your heart to God and serving Him full-time, it really comes down to our love for God and our love for the lost. We live in a day and age, it's crazy. The world is topsy-turvy, it's turned upside down, and it's easy for us to lose focus on our main objective here on earth. What is our main objective as a Christian? To preach the gospel. To, to tell the gospel. That's why we're here. And I can't help but even look at my own life and say, how often am I presenting the gospel to people? That's the reason I'm here on earth, is to preach the gospel, to point people to Jesus. That's our mission. Are we even doing what we're supposed to be doing for God? At the very least we can do is, is give to those who are going. But as we give, we should be asking ourselves, Lord, could, what more could I be doing? What more could I do? When a missionary presents their field, it should burden you for the lost. When pastor preaches on the lost in Surrey, and when he challenges you to come out soul winning and to do your parts, I know we've got restrictions and things taking place, but to at least consider, Lord, how could I pass out gospel tracts? How could I do more for you? So let me ask you this question. Where is your burden? Where is your calling? Or perhaps you've never been close enough to the Lord to hear him calling you in the first place. Be like Barnabas. Serve God. Give your heart to him. No need to wait for this mysterious calling. Just say, here my Lord, and send me.